0: Good morning to everyone. Thank you for having us here. We appreciate that. It's a it's a pleasure and a privilege. Had a great drive down here, and uh, we still have two inches of snow up in our country, hard packed snow. I didn't even want to shovel my driveway. It's that bad. But I'm waiting for summer to finally or spring finally to hit uh, Canada. So anyway, it was nice to see the green grass and actually some dandelions out. So that's uh, you might say, well, that's not maybe something we would want to see, but. Uh, I'm looking forward even to see the dandelions, just to see a little bit of springtime up our way. It doesn't usually last this long, uh, mind you. It's, you know, they talk about the great white north, but in reality it's not much different than it is here. You're just a little bit warmer here than we are up north. I want to just uh, remind you, I see there's enough hoary heads here, you'll probably know this song. Back in the 60s, like 1965, there was a song called Turn, 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 to everything there is a season. Uh, and most of you probably will know that. Some of our young people will not, of course. Uh, it was done by the birds. That wasn't originally their song, but they made it popular. And it was actually uh, based on Ecclesiastes 3. I'm going to have you just turn there with, with me, please, to Ecclesiastes 3. in Ecclesiastes 3, let's begin in verse 1. I'm just going to read a couple of verses here. We could go through all of this, but in verse 1 it says, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, and a time to die. It's a very sobering um, thought. In verse 4, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. Um King Solomon, who apparently is the author of this book, I believe that to be so, uh, wants to tell us something here about the reality of life. And sometimes it's a very sobering reality. It's not all about the wonders of a baby being born, but it's also the fact that there is an end to that. And all of us need to be aware of that. It's not always about laughter. Sometimes it's about weeping and crying. There are some sobering realities that you and I have to face, and God actually wants us to face, not only to prepare us for life, but just to redirect us in our, in our own lives. I want to share with you some of how I've come to see that reality with a greater deal of clarity. And as I was talking to some of you before services, I'm not sh- telling you something that you don't know. This is, this is the heartache and the suffering and the joys and the highs of life. And uh, some of you, even in, as we had uh, intercessory prayer, know the lows and the difficulties and the challenges that life brings our way. It's just the reality of things. But I want to tell you a little bit about my reality as I say that brought this to a greater level of understanding. And, uh, and, and I just um, will use my example not because Anything that I've experienced is any worse than what you've experienced, and probably in many ways, you've experienced things far worse than I have. But this, just a few months ago, uh, about three months ago, um, my dad passed away. He died uh, He died, um, he died uh, on, the, on the 25th of December, a day that a lot of people keep as Christmas Day. Of course, uh, uh, it's an ordinary day for us, but that particular day was not an ordinary day. And you know, when I, when I watched my dad... Over the years, the last, especially the last few years, I saw a perpetual decline. And um, you know, the 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 chapter, the last chapter of Ecclesiastes, and some of what we'll address here today are really some of the realities that King Solomon brings out here. It's kind of a sobering book, but it's a it's kind of a reality book. Bring us back to 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 reality. Um, The last chapter, and I want you to go there with me of Ecclesiastes reminded me so much of what happened to my dad. You know, my dad was a, a very strong man, but the, let me just read through here a por- portion of this. And uh, and you'll see that this is uh, quite, a, quite a sobering portion of the Scriptures. Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth. Now Solomon here is... In my opinion, and a lot of the commentaries will say the same thing, Solomon is speaking from the voice of experience here. He's an old man in his last, you know, in his dying years, maybe, you know, very, very little time left in his life, and he writes this, and he's telling young people, and we have some young people here, don't wait to come to certain perceptions, or don't wait to come to God, don't wait to redirect your life, start thinking about that even in your youth. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come and the years draw near, when you say, I have no sin in them I'm uh, sorry, I have no pleasure in them. While the sun while the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are not darkened and the clouds do not return to after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and we know we know what this these are all, this is all some wonderful sim- symbolism. It's poetic. But when I saw my dad going th- through all of these very same things, I, this had a different meaning to me. It actually brought, brought it to reality. Will the keepers of the house tremble. You know, you know how the hands shake? That's, that's the keepers of the house. And when the, when the things get dark, my dad had macular degeneration and he could hardly see anymore. It, one, he could see images but not with any kind of clarity. That's what King Solomon is talking about here. And the doors are shut in the streets and the sound of the grinding is low. I'm not sure what he's talking about when he talks about the doors are shut in the streets. I have a feeling a lot of people that come into my office, I'm a a chiropractor by profession, they tell me about their health problems. And a lot of times elderly people talk about constipation. And when I I think that's what it's talking about here. The doors are shut in the streets. It's talking about people, you know when you get older, that becomes the focus of your attention. Did you go to the bathroom this morning and have you know your regular bowel movement? And uh, and, and this is it's serious, right? If that doesn't work, we don't uh, you know we don't want to talk about those things because you know those those are the uncomely parts of the body, but they're part of the, the body. And uh, Solomon is saying here, you know this 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 was what happens. This is the reality of getting older. And the sound of grinding is low. And when you're you know when you're chewing on things and you can't you're you're partly deaf, it sounds like a grinding sound. And when you rise up and rise up at the sound of the bird and all the daughters of the music are brought low and when they are afraid of height, and the tears of the way when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper is a burden and, and desire fails for man goes to his eternal home. You see this gradual progression and the mourners go about the street. It says, remember your Creator before the silver cord is loosened, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the well. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. And he talks about vanity of vanities. Says the preacher, all his vanity. If you don't have God in your life, if that's all there is, if you go through the whole process of life, all the joys, all the suffering, all the difficulties all the trials, and you don't have God in your life, it's, what is it, it's for nothing, it's just the wind, it's not worth anything. I want to just tell you a little bit about my dad, he was, um, he was a really good dad, and he was a strong, he was a strong man, even up into his late 70s, he was such a strong man, he could outwork men that were in their 40s, uh, he dug his own wells, he built his own house, He did all of those things. He was a machinist by trade. Uh, And so he was a provider and a protector. He was a a very, very good man. It was so hard to see this person who was the one who took care of of us now going through this whole process that we just read in Ecclesiastes 12. So it it was difficult to see. And, you know, I'll just tell you a little bit of the history here. Uh, is that um, my dad was getting weaker and there were times that I'd get calls from my mom and say, well, uh, you know what, she said, your, your dad is, uh, you know, his fa-, she said father's uh, on the floor. I can't get him up. Uh, he would have weakness in his legs and so I'd have to drive over. We live in the same small little town and I'd, and I'd help him back up and everything would be okay for a while and then I'd maybe get another call later. It didn't happen often but occasionally. Well, this was... Um, The 25th of December, and I got a call at five o'clock in the morning. My mom says, "Uh, "Yeah, your your father's uh, couldn't make it to the bathroom. His legs kind of gave out on him, and uh, he's laying on the floor. Can you come over?" So I didn't waste any time. I headed over to um, to my mom and dad's place, and um, so when I get into the door, she whispers to me. She says, "I think he's dying." Uh, So. I went over to him, and he was in a state of semi-consciousness at that point. Um, I tried to rouse him, but really he didn't respond to anything. So I called 911, and within a short period of time, they were there, and they declared that my dad had actually passed away. So we we spent a little time together. I, you know, they wanted to come in and take my dad away. They, you know, they called the funeral home directors and or the staff. I said, okay, let's give give us an hour to sit down and relax a little bit, and we'll talk. You know, my mom was there, and my son was there, and we just. Uh, we just kind of reflected a little bit and hugged each other and and um, consoled each other. And then they came, and they took my dad away and um, and that was it. He was uh, cremated, and that's the end of, of that story of that particular life. Um, and And you know, I just want to read what Solomon's concluding remarks are here, because he's he's coming to this very point in in the same chapter, chapter twelve and verse 13. He says, this is the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. So that chapter 12, verse 13. Fear God, that is to say, have a deep respect and a reverence for God and keep his commandments. They go together. If you fear God and you respect God, you're going to listen to what he has to say. You're going to believe what he has to say. You'll, have, you'll trust him and you will keep his commandments. They go hand in hand. For this is the whole duty of man. Now the word duty there, probably in your Bible, it's in italics it's really not in the original for this is the whole man it's talk Solomon is coming to some conclusions here you you know the story he had everything at his disposal he had he had choirs, he had buildings, he had gardens, he had everything he could possibly want, and he said it was all vanity. he, he was looking for something, he was searching for something, and you would think Solomon, in his great wisdom would have found out long before that and not have to do all that experimentation, but maybe that's for our benefit to realize that you don't find the peace and the joy and the fulfillment in things, in objects, in wealth, in any of those things. And when he comes to this conclusion, he says really that this, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole man. What he's really saying here is that 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 thing inside of us that's, that is yearning for something, that people search for everywhere, whether it be in illicit sex, whether it be in drugs, whether it be uh, in, in uh, you know things and prosperity uh, it, people are looking for something in life and like, as Solomon did and not necessarily in a, in a bad way although he did have many wives that took him away from God but when people are looking for something this is what they're looking for they're looking for God and what is it that will make them whole what does make, what is it that makes a person whole is when they have a relationship with God and that's what that's saying here it's, that is what makes a person whole. That is what allows a person to really uh, feel the experience fulfillment of life if God is a part of that life. Otherwise, as King Solomon said, it's all vanity, all vanity. And it goes on to say, for God will bring every, every work into, ju- <coughs> sorry, into judgment, including every se- secret thing, whether it is good or whether it is evil. One of the things that brings certain realities clearly t- right in our face, whether we want to or not, are funerals. And I don't know, it seems like as I get older, I'm attending a lot of funerals and very few weddings and, and, and no uh, sh- baby showers. <laughs> I don't usually get invited to those anyway. But, um, <laughs> but, but the funerals are something we go to. And, and, and you know what? Whether we want to or not, we end up really thinking about what it is all about when we go to funerals. Most of the time there are people that are close relatives, people we love or, or friends of the family. Uh, and it makes us think. And, and I want you to turn with me to uh, Ecclesiastes 7. I know that I'm going to spend a lot of time here in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 7, and in, in verses 2 to 4. It says, it, Solomon says here, It is better to go to the house of mourning... Than to the house of feasting, that that almost sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? Most of us would rather go to a house of feasting, unless we understand what Solomon is talking about here. Than to a house of mourning, for for that is the end of all men. And it's and then this is this is a statement that that I want you to keep in mind, and emphasize. And the living will take it to heart. Sometimes it takes us. Uh, into this environment, it, it takes this environment for us to recognize our own mortality and to really think about what life is is all about and It goes on to say sorrow is better than laughter for by a sad countenance, the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. People want to drown their sorrows, and you know when I think of a house of, of mirth. Or, or, you know, what is Solomon talking about here? I think of um, bars and places like that where people are laughing and drinking and sometimes drinking excessively. Not that drinking or laughing is a bad thing. But sometimes all we do is we do these things so that we don't have to face certain realities of life. And, and I think that's what Solomon is talking about here. The living, take it to heart. When we go to these, when we go to these events these funerals in particular, it makes us think about life. And it helps us, really, in many ways, to get refocused. The bar scene doesn't help us to get refocused. You get a bunch of guys over drinking beer and eating pizza and watching a a ball game, it's fun, but it doesn't help us get focused. We don't don't think about priorities in life when we um, entertain ourselves in that way. Escapism is really what it's all about. So that's the first part of the story. The first part of the story is that um, we need to recognize our own mortality. And we need to keep that in mind. Now, we, don't have, we, we shouldn't have this cloud over our head every day thinking about the fact that we're going to die. That's not what, that's not what it's all about. But it's this re- realization that our life is short. And most of us here that are, are in our 60s or 70s or 80s, and my, my dad would tell you the same thing if he was here to tell you. He said, I can't believe how fast life has gone. It's here today, you're a kid, and before you know it, you're a senior, and you're looking back on life. Wow, it's an it's a, it's a uncanny experience, but it's, the reality, it's actually the reality of what life is like. It's just a wisp of time, and you're gone. And you know, the Bible often talks about that, doesn't it? it talks about it's like, it's like the dandelion that comes out here. It blossoms one day and then it comes out into this fuzzy head before it, you know it's gone, like the morning mist. And lots of scriptures tell us that. The morning, it's there, and then the sun comes out and it's gone. It Really, life is like that. And if we really want to um, stay focused on the things that really count, we need to be aware of that. And that's what, of course, Solomon is saying. So the second part of the story. The second part of the story... Um, and again, I'm not telling you something you don't know about pain and suffering, about loss of life. Many of you have suffered much more than I have. But the next day, that was December the 26th, and I don't know, do you keep Boxing Day here in the U.S.? So we have a day called Boxing Day. It's where everybody brings back their Christmas presents that they don't like and to the store and gets refunds, or whatever. Anyway, um, on Boxing Day, so you're, you're enlightened now, you know what Boxing Day is all about. Um, <laughs> I decided my mom and dad li- lived or lives in, uh, uh, in the same town that uh, Grace and I do, a little town called Elora, a uh, population of about 5,000 people, so quite small. I live, we live in one part of town, and my mom lives in the other part of town. And I thought, you know what? I, just, I didn't sleep much that night because i um, caught tossing and turning, thinking about my dad and just you know grieving his loss. Um, I thought, well, I'll get up in the morning, and I'll just walk over to visit my mom, spend a little time with her. So a nice, clear day, sunny day, but crisp. You know, that cool Christmas that kind of bites the cheeks a little bit. It was that kind of a day. But I enjoy walking, so I thought I'll just walk up. It's about a 20, 25-minute walk. And um, so I was just two houses down from my mom's house, and then wham, I'm, I'm underneath a pickup truck. I'm lying underneath a pickup truck. I'm looking at the undercarriage of the truck, and if I could have changed the oil, I. uh, If I had, anyway, here I am, the driver of 17-year-old driver of the pickup truck with two other of his friends. Obviously, were distracted. They went through a stop sign, crossed a highway, up onto the sidewalk, hit hit me, and slammed me down five feet into the driveway uh, of a neighboring house. And there I was, like I—it could have been a satellite that came out of the sky. I had no inkling of what happened. It was like the shock of my life. I've never—I've never had such a shock. So I'm lying there. I'm thinking, okay, uh, you know, my background is in health fields. So I'm thinking, can I move my fingers? Can I move my toes? Uh, and then eventually, there's—you know—the ambulance gets called, and there's firemen and police there, and they take me away to the hospital. I'm in the hospital. They x-ray me. I've got numerous broken bones, collarbone, broken ribs, uh, and, and fortunately, you know, serious internal injuries. Uh, you know, when I was lying under there, there was wheels on each side of me. They straddled me. Had it been any different, I wouldn't be here speaking to you now. I would not be here. Uh, somebody would be going to the house of mourning and thinking about my, my, my life uh, and hopefully celebrating my life. But I'm here because God was merciful. And, you know, my, my story is not different than yours in the sense that the general pattern in life is that we have difficulties and trials and suffering. And, uh, and you know, my, I could live to 94. I've got good genes, but I could get hit by a truck and I could be dead tomorrow. The lesson is you can't count on living life till you're 94. You can't count on living life till you're 70. I'm 67 now, so I could have, when I was hit by the truck, I was 66. That could have been the end of it. But God allowed me to be spared that, um, and and so I'm I'm blessed to be here. You know, some of my feelings are not. Some people ask me, do do I have any bitterness or uh, No, I'm thankful. I'm thankful to be here. People make mistakes, and I'm not going to dwell on the mistakes of a young man. Made many mistakes in my own life as well. But anyway, that's that's part of the second story, and you know, and the impact that had on, on me and my family was tremendous. I was out of work for almost three months. Um, There's so much, you know, the trauma and the, my grandchildren were, were uh, so, so deeply upset. Uh, my wife had to reorganize all our schedule. It was just like it, there was turmoil in our life. First of all, I'd lost my dad and the next day I almost lost my own life. So, wow, it's almost like it's overwhelming. And, and yet, um, we get through that And all of us here, we can get through those things because we have God and we can turn to him and we trust him and we believe that regardless of the circumstances, he's there. He's there. And you know, life is, as Solomon said, there's laughter and there's a time for sorrow, a time for laughter. Life is like that, isn't it? It's not all about laughter. You know, like the song, I Didn't Promise You a Rose Garden. It's not all about good things in life. It's about hard things too. It's, it's part and parcel of what life is all about. And we should live every day. I know this is easy to say, and I know it's a cliche, but it, isn't it true? That's why we need to focus on some of these things. We should live every day as if it's our last day. Because it might be. Uh, I might walk out of here. We might, Grace and I might drive home. We might be hit by a tractor trailer. You might have a heart attack. We have no idea what, what's to come in the near future. And we don't have to really worry about it. We just put it in God's hands. But well, we do our best to live the day, this day. You know, the Carpe Diem, which is seize the day. Seize the day, because God has given us this opportunity. We're here. We're alive. Let's make the best of every day. Turn with me to Ecclesiastes nine. Again, Ecclesiastes. Gonna wear out this chat, this book here. Um, and that's what that's what he's telling us here in his great wisdom. It says, Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with with a merry heart. Verse 7 of chapter 9, Ecclesiastes. For God has already accepted your works. Let your garments always be white. And that's referring to righteousness. And let your head lack no oil. Of course, we think of oil in terms of God's spirit. Live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life or your temporary life, maybe that would be uh, probably better put, which he has given you under the sun all, the, all your days, all your days of vanity. So life of and by itself. I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the uh, um, liberty here. Life by itself is not, there's not a whole lot there. It's kind of like a, a gust of wind. It's, there's not a whole lot there. And he's a little cynical here, as you can see. For that is your portion in life, and in the labor which you perform under the sun. It's not that a lot of the things that we enjoy in life aren't good. Is that if they're done without God, outside of God, or have we do them and God's not first in our life, then it's a problem. Whatever, you, whatever your hand finds to do, and this is the carpe diem philosophy, do it with your might. For there is no work or, or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. You know, I've, we, um, I remember one young lady saying that as she was getting older, this is one of our young ladies in the church, is that one of the things she's learned to do is not to try to live her life the way other people wanted her to live her life or try to be like somebody else, just to be herself and, and to do the very best she can and live life to the full. That's... He's basically saying, and do it with your might. Don't be timid. You might not have it tomorrow. there's things you want to do, do them, as long as they're godly things, as long as they're positive things. Don't be too timid with your life. Of course, they have to be things that are acceptable in God's eyes. And God always has to be uh, our priority. Turn with me, uh, we will will come back to uh, Ecclesiastes. Turn with me to Luke 12. Luke 12, verses 15 to 23. Okay, 15 to 23, beginning in verse 15. And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. Materialism, I guess we could say today, we want to use contemporary parlance. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. And Solomon took a long time to understand that. And he spoke a parable to them saying The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful, and he brought and brother he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this, I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. In other words, he was taking great comfort in and trust in the possessions that he had. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as you recognize that everything you eat and drink and everything that you have is given to us by the great God, uh, which can be taken away at at a a moment's notice. But God said to him, You fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? How important will those things be in that moment when he's taking his last breath? So he who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God, uh, sorry, so is he, who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. If God isn't part of the equation and first part of that equation, then there's going to be problems in your life and you're not going to feel that sense of fulfillment in life that God intends for us to have. Some of the things that I would say uh, become apparent when you just about lose your life or you lose somebody that you've loved, is that quite often we'll say, I wish I had said something, I wish I'd done something, I wish I'd done this kind deed, I wish i told him I, I loved him. Uh, uh, or, you know, I wish I hadn't done this, or I maybe was a little terse, or whatever. There's always these regrets. And I think that if we recognize that ahead of time, we will do the right thing. Or if you, you know, if you think you're, um, you, you understand your mortality, then maybe the way you treat your family, maybe you treat your wife, maybe um, the way you treat your employees uh, or employer um, probably will change because it will change your perspective on life. It will change your perspective on life. One of the things that... I'm going to turn, have you turn back with me to Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 13. One of the things that um, is very comforting for me is the fact that regardless of all that we go through, and I've heard some of your stories today, um, is is that God God is on his throne. God is on his throne. In verse 13, I'm going to read verse 13 and verse 14. Consider the work of God, for who can make straight what he has made crooked? God is... This is saying that God is sovereign. And sometimes our life seems to be taking a a convoluted course through life. And we don't really understand certain things. But we can understand this, that God is sovereign. And regardless of where God is taking us, providing that God is an important part of our lives, as long as we don't um, kick against the goat as Saul would say, as long as we don't fight God, as long as we're yielding to him, the crooked path that he leads us down in life is going to be the right path. It looks convoluted to us. And sometimes we don't know where God is taking us or why he's taking us there. But we just understand that he is God and he is sovereign and he's a loving God and he loves us deeply. We know that because he gave his son for us. He loves us deeply. So regardless of where we're going, we have to recognize and trust that he is the one that's leading us there. And we can have great consolation in that. Great consolation. Turn with me to Luke 12. You know, there, there are two things that um, Paul talks about in the book of Hebrews, that anchor... He says, taught two things, immutable things that anchor his soul. And those two things are that God is sovereign and that God is a loving God. Knowing those two things, those two immutable things, we can have great, great confidence in God. Luke 12, I'm not there yet. Verses 6 and 7. Same, it was the same. actually the same chapter we were just on. But just before that, verses 6 and 7, Luke 12. Are not five sparrows sold for two coppers, or two, the two coins, two uh, Roman coins, and not one of them is forgotten before God? That's, that's true. God is even aware of a fallen sparrow, a fallen bird. But the very hair, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are more of more value than many sparrows. God is aware. This doesn't just tell me that God loves me, but he tells me that God is aware of everything that's happening in my life. He's, he's not only omnipotent, he's omniscient. He knows everything that you're going through in life. And there isn't a time that God has looked away and, oh, I don't know what happened to Darren or I don't know what happened to Rick. He knows what's happening. And either it's one of two things. Either God has allowed it to happen or he has caused it to happen. I don't see any alternative. It's either allowed or it's actually orchestrated by God. And and so understanding that is very, very reassuring. Some of the things that, you know, I, I received a, a many cards. I was so overwhelmed by the outpouring of love and compassion and caring towards me and my family, cards of condolences, cards of, you know, get well cards. Um, and this is a time that I really, I absolutely really, really needed that. I needed that encouragement, and boy, was it phenomenal. Even when I was able to finally get on my feet and get out and walk again, I love to walk, people would pull off the side of the road. We live in a little town, so people get to know other people. People would pull off to the side of the road and say, hey, Rick, it's great to see you, nice to see you up and around. People came out of their cars and hugged me gently because I, you know, I had broken ribs. and like it was, The outpouring was phenomenal. The cards, the fruit baskets, the phone calls was phenomenal because people really cared. The consequence of that is I never realized before that, to the same extent, how important it is for us to support one another, to encourage one another. If it hadn't been for some of the tra- tragic events that I've gone through, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really know that. I wouldn't really know that. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians. So I guess one of the questions I had to ask myself and one of the cards said, well, this will give you time to think, Rick, about life. And it really did. It made me think about life in ways that I, in depth, I mean, I've always thought to myself to be somewhat of a thinker, but it made me think about life in ways that I'd never thought about before in levels of understanding that I'd never considered before. 2 Corinthians. Most of you know these chapters very well. In verse 3, I'm going to read here from verse 3 of 2 Corinthians 1, chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what a wonderful description of our God. The God, the Father of all mercies and God of all comfort. Boy, do we need that at times in our lives. Who comforts us. And some of that comfort that we receive is through others. God works through people and comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. The suffering that we experience in life, and I know all of you, some of you, young, some of you younger people, maybe it, it'll, come, it'll be your turn somewhere down the line, or maybe you've suffered a lot as well. But we've either suffered our suffering, or will suffer, life is not without suffering. And again, I'm not trying to picture a cloud of that life is, you know, some abysmal experience, but part of life is trials and difficulties. And some of the reason for that is what we read here in 2 Corinthians 1: is through our trials and difficulties we can learn to empathize with others. We f- we will feel things in ways that we never felt before. If you've had cancer, if you've had respiratory problems, you'll relate to those people better than... If you, if you have come off drugs, you were a drug addict, and you recovered from that, and all the suffering that you went through and the emotional turmoil, you'll be able to help and relate to other people in ways that others cannot. Suffering helps us to be empathetic. If you turn with me to Hebrews 2, verse 17, Hebrews 2, we have a great high priest, an older brother who's our intercessor, who loves us, our advocate, our loving brother Jesus Christ. And listen to what we read here about Jesus in verse 17. He says, therefore, in all things he he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be merciful and a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. He had to go through the experience of life, this crucible of life that we all go through. Jesus Christ had to so that he could be a merciful high priest. He could experience life and know things in such a way that he could empathize with all our suffering, with all our grief. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. He could be our high priest and serve in various capacities as our our high priest because of the suffering he went through and obviously because of his death, which paid the price for our sins. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted or tested... He is able to aid those who are tested or tempted. That's a, that's a phenomenal statement. Even Jesus Christ had to go through suffering in order to learn the to the a depth that God wanted him to learn, the empathy for others and to be our high priest. It says that he must be made like his brethren. What a statement that is. And I would be remiss if I didn't include one more aspect of this, aspect of suffering. Now, I'm not going to go into the book of Job, but you remember the story about Job where his friends said, the reason you're going through all this suffering is because you've done something wrong. You, God would not put this upon you, would not take away all your possessions, would not destroy all your family unless you did something wrong. That's the whole theme of, of the book of Job. And of course, at the end, we know that, that has nothing to do with what Job that Job did something wrong. So, so suffering and pain and suffering and the turmoils we experience in life are not necessarily the result of something we've done wrong. We want to emphasize that. But they might be. But they might be. And so we have to realize that too, to, to, to take that story of Job and saying, okay, the suffering that we have has nothing to do with any of our actions would be taking it too far. We have to realize that sometimes God steps into our lives and creates problems for us. And that's why I had to do a lot of reflection. I thought, wow, is there something I'm doing wrong? Is there something that God is trying to tell me? Well, I need to, I need to think about that. I want you to turn with me to, to uh, Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. The book of Hebrews is a phenomenal, a phenomenal uh, book to read, as, of course, all the scriptures are, but there's always some that seem to stand out in our minds, don't they, uh, Philippians or Hebrews or whatever. Anyway, so Hebrews 12, I'm going to re- read verses 1 through to 11, because there's a lot of things here that are tied in with what uh, I want to bring across to you today. Therefore we should. Sin- Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and chapter 11 was talking about all these Moses and Abraham, etc., etc., um Jephthah and Gideon, and all of the different individuals who act as a witness for us, and, and not necessarily those from those days. You, you have witnesses today. You have people in your congregation that have passed away that have been a phenomenal witness to you. We have those in our congregation that have passed away. To me, they're a phenomenal witness. So it's not just ladies and men of times past. They are present-day witnesses too. And let us lay aside every weight And the sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, that's important for us to remember as we're going through difficulties, never lose sight of the kingdom of God. Never lose sight of the joy that is set before us because Jesus Christ focused on that through all of his suffering. And that's what got him through. At least that's what I would take from these verses. He endured before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself for no reason of his own, because of course Christ was completely sinless. He suffered these things for us. Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls, you have not yet resisted bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. This is a point that I want to bring across for you now. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, for nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by Him. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens and scourges, scourges, that's a strong word. Scourges is a strong word. Scourges every son whom he receives. Daughters, you don't get away with it either. That's, that's a general statement. You get scourged too. We all get scourged when God is chastising us. If you endure chastening, so if, you, if you're responding to God, if you're striving to do what is right, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom God does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all, all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. If you're not willing to accept the correction from God, God says, I'm going to disown you. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us, at seems best to them. But he for our profit. For our profit. That we may be partakers of his holiness. Wow. So the suffering has purpose behind it. Now, no chastening seems joyful. Who wants to go through suffering and trials and difficulties? Once you've come through it and once you've been corrected, once you've responded to God, it's great, but during that trial, that's another story. Now, no no chasing seems joyful for the present, but grievous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You can't you can't be in God's kingdom unless you've learned and live a life of righteousness. And that comes through the hardships and the trials of human experience, this crucible of life that that God has put us in. It doesn't take away the sin that we've committed. That takes the sacrifice and the blood of Christ. I might just add that there. But the, the sacrifice of Christ doesn't create holy character. That comes through experience and responding to God and striving to do God's will and allowing the Holy Spirit and not quenching His Spirit, but allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us so that Christ is actually living in us so that we become righteous. And that brings peaceable fruit. And that's what we want. The kingdom of God is peace, of course. So, with, so I would be remiss if I didn't mention that aspect. So sometimes when we go through trials and difficulties, God is actually correcting us. And as we read in, in, in Ecclesiastes, He says, consider Consider what it is, what that's all about. Turn with me to Romans eight verse twenty eight. Coming to a close here soon. Romans eight twenty eight. You could read all of this. It's, it's, it's so beautiful when we go through this. How God, God's love God never stops loving us, ever, no matter what we do. Even those people that are going to be thrown in the lake of fire. God, it will hurt God to do that, but it will be necessary. And God says here, and that's actually, it says here, no matter what, God is going to love us. Uh, you know what it says? I am persuaded that neither, that's verse 38. Let's, I just, I'll, give you back to, I'll get you back to the other person in a minute. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present or things to come, nor heights nor depths or nor any other creative thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And we have this verse in 20, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. So we know that there are parameters there. It says the parameters are that for those who love God, right? It's not just for, not anybody, not all things work to good together for good for those who hate God. And, not, and, and eventually people will be called but for those who love God and are called according to his purpose we have this promise this is the promise it'll all work out for the best eventually it doesn't seem like that now it may seem convoluted it may, you may not know where God's taking you but in the final analysis it'll work out for good and, and, you, and you know that's really that's, that's a, that is really bottom line is that, that good is the kingdom of God isn't it for, some, for, for most of us Turn with me to Mark 13, verses 32. Just a couple more verses here. Mark 13, verse 32. We have a warning here. But but of that day and hour no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father, so that's Mark 13, verse 32. Take, take heed. This is the warning. Take heed. Watch and pray, for you do not know when the, when, when the, time, uh, when the time is. You don't know. Everybody wants to decide, wants to predict when Christ is going to return. There's this sign, there's that sign, and we can get some general ideas. We're, we're told, you know, when the, when the buds come out in the fig tree... These are signs that the time is near, but we don't know the day or the hour. We're to watch. That means we're to be vigilant. We need to be circumspect in our life. We need to turn to God. And not only that, the fact is we don't know not only when Christ is going to return, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, do we? Tomorrow, you and I might not be here. So this, this... Admonition, this encouragement that we have here to watch and to pray is not only because Christ is imminently going to be here, and I believe He is. I don't know when, but I believe He is. But also for the fact that I don't know tomorrow whether I'm going to be hit by a pickup truck and that's going to be the end of my life. Or you have a heart attack or I have a heart attack. or We, we just don't know that. God in some ways have been merciful to us because we don't know. So he says be vigilant, be diligent, be, be alert in, in, in your life. Understand what your priorities are in your life. And all of what we've been talking about leads us to focus on the priorities of life. Seek ye the kingdom of God and his righteousness and forget about the other things. Let God take care of the other things. Ephesians 5. Ephesians five. That doesn't mean we go on social assistance. I'm not saying that, in case somebody might interpret it that way. Ephesians five. And some people need to be on social assistance. I understand that. I think I'm going to get into political trouble here. <laughs> <laughs> last, uh, oh, second last scripture. Ephesians five verses fifteen to twenty-one. Fifteen. See then that you walk circumspectly, be vigilant circumspectly, be careful, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil, are they not? Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not be drunk with the wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God. To God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. That's what we're admonished to do. And finally, brethren, let's turn to a concluding chapter verse here in 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter 4. And I'll, I'll close with this. Peter, 1 Peter 4, verse 12. And I'll read from the um, NIV version. "Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. It's not. It's not something. You know, we. This isn't something that should surprise us. Uh, Peter is saying, we're going to experience suffering in this world. We're going to experience good things, and we're going to experience bad things. He said, don't be surprised, but rejoice." that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed."